0: Welcome to Living Word, growing a family that experiences every promise of God. You're listening to another life-changing word from Pastor Jason Anderson. For more information, visit our website at livingwordonline.com. Father God, we thank you and praise you for this time. Ask Lord you'd open up our hearts to receive your word. Your word is bread, it's manna. We can use it this week. It's practical, Lord. Your word is also seed in our hearts and it grows and conforms us and transforms us into the likeness and image of your son, Jesus Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Teach us what we need to know. Prepare us for what's coming in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You could be seated. I want to welcome all of you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Why don't you smell your neighbor right now and thank him for taking a shower? <laughs> I want to thank you for watching on the stream. If you're ever in the Mace area, please come hang out with us. And don't forget about our daily Bible study. Uh, every single day, Monday through Friday, my brother, and uh, Pastor Scott, and I, he's my favorite pastor in the world, We talk to you, give you scripture, pray over your day. It's very short. We talk a lot about what we've been teaching on on the weekends. It's a great opportunity for the church to be meditating and moving in the right direction. And so how many of you are enjoying Wake Up? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. But today I want to talk to you about uh, the power of chesed. It's a Hebrew word. I want you to say it with me, chesed. And it kind of clears you up in the morning. And it's a word that's used 248 times in the Old Testament, really kind of translated as kindness, translated sometimes as faithfulness, translated sometimes as mercy, translated sometimes as love. It's a very large word. And if you were to look up all 248 verses and really kind of look at what God is trying to say with this word chesed, it's a very powerful word, which I did look it up to all 248, it actually is saying God's merciful, loving-kindness. Merciful because it knows no boundaries or barriers. It has no prerequisites or qualifiers. You could be wealthy or you could be poor. You could be from high society or low. You could be any color, any race, any position. It's not waiting for your behavior to be right or your behavior to be wrong. It's just simply you're breathing, and so there's loving-kindness coming to people who breathe. And that's the only qualifier, maybe. And I want to talk to you about this because I think that there's a power, a supernatural power in simple loving-kindness. It's a piece of, of love, really. Love is patient and love is? And God is love. And when you in express loving-kindness in your world, merciful loving-kindness, when you express chesed in your world, you're going to find a supernatural power to draw the right relationships into your life, to draw the relationships closer in your life, to have more meaningful Relationship while we're drifting apart pastor if there's a drifting apart the prescription is merciful loving kindness And it also projects favor into your future It's so easy today to get involved in the unkind things to be angry It's so easy to be divisive in this world. There's division in families There's division in marriages. There's division in friendships. There's division in the community division in the city division in the nation and it's so easy to get involved in being unkind, talking bad about people who aren't in the room, stabbing people in the back, being angry or annoyed, just being unkind in general. It's easy to be unkind when you drive down the road in Arizona. <laughs> right? Yeah. Many of us are participating in it every single day. Something changes. We stop being Christian right when we close that car door, boom. <laughs> if you've never been dri- driving in Arizona, I just encourage you, stay away. We're tough. The honking, right? The honking. I'm not a honker, typically. I'm being slowly acclimated into becoming a honker. The god asked me the other day, he's like, why are you honking? I said, it was the woman that you gave me. <laughs> She's a honker. It's beginning to invade my. I typically am not that mad about the driving. I get annoyed, though, when people are slow. Especially in line, do you ever have that problem where you're standing in line and the line moves, but the person in front of you didn't notice the line moved and they just stand still? Maybe a Disneyland uh, ride that you're in line for and you're like, or or maybe the bank, or maybe an airport and they're uh, at Starbucks, Uh, sir, can I help the next person in line, please? And there they are, just standing there, not moving. And when you have a car, you can honk, you know, but in a line, I think that they should invent a honking where you could, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody's not moving, You can just pretend like you're looking at your phone because they have this right here, you're just going to And then when they turn around, you just like, I don't know. Like you ever do that where you're like at a stoplight and you honk, but you didn't really assess the size of the individual that was in front of you. And so you honk, but then they look up and then you do the thing where you're like, I don't know who's honked. Somebody behind me honked like you didn't do it. It's so easy to get caught up into the unkind way of life and getting annoyed and and we can be unkind at the workplace or at the restaurant or wherever we're at, the car wash or with our families. But God wants to show us that his loving kindness is in us. And when we express loving kindness into our world, we're inviting God into our world. We're literally releasing the spirit of God into our world. You might say, well, what did Pastor talk about this weekend? I missed it on Sunday. You might say, oh, he, he didn't really teach on the the mountain-moving faith, or the walking on water, the things that we really want to hear about. He taught a really simple message on kindness. But I want you to know that there's a supernatural, eternal power released when you release the Spirit of God into your world because Jesus walked around just looking for people to be kind to. And when you walk around looking for people to be kind to and be kind in your marriage, you just walk around looking for a need and finding a way that you can be a help in that need. You're releasing Jesus into your world. He's walking around through you. And when you do that, expect power to begin to move. I heard a story. I want to give props to this man. His name is Dick Foth. He told a story at the commencement ceremony for my son when he was graduating. So moved me, I wanted to retell it. He told a story about a place called North Platte, Nebraska. In 1941, North Platte, Nebraska was an unknown town, very small. In fact, the only really connection to the world was through the United Pacific Railroad. You came through on a train, you might find North Platte, Nebraska, because there was a station right there. In 1941, the town got a rumor that some U.S. soldiers that were from Nebraska would be coming through and stopping for 10 minutes in North Platte, Nebraska, as they moved on to their next place. And the town got together and cooked some food and got some gifts and were so excited to see their boys from Nebraska get off the train that day. And when the boys got off the train, 3,000 of them, they weren't their Nebraska boys. It was just a rumor. There were some other U.S. soldiers. But they had all this food and all these gifts, and so they just gave them to these boys and hugged on them and loved on them, and off they went. There was a 26-year-old woman there that day. Her name is Ray Wilson. And she had the idea, why don't we keep doing this? It was fun. We didn't know these boys and all that, but It was a good time. What if we were to keep making some food, have some gifts, and in 10 minutes, kind of love on these U.S. soldiers as they go off to World War II? So she did. She wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper. He published it, and the town began to turn out and help these give to these U.S. soldiers. Twenty trains a day as the war escalated, bringing 3,000 U.S. soldiers just for 10 minutes would come through that town. Over time, 125 communities around North Platte, Nebraska, got involved in this. Ten minutes, a soldier would get off. They'd seize people that they didn't know, but that might be my sister, that could be my mom, I'm a little homesick, that could be my grandma. And for just ten minutes, they got a moment of somebody being kind to them and sharing with them and feeding them and giving them a gift and a hug and sending them on their way. Just ten minutes, doesn't seem like a big deal. But to Ray Wilson in North Platte, Nebraska, they didn't have a manufacturing plant to help in the war. There wasn't much that they could do. They didn't have a naval yard. They weren't recruiting tons of soldiers. They weren't even a large town. But she found a way that she could help with these soldiers. 55,000 people over the next five years would volunteer in North Platte, Nebraska, as they touched the lives of six million U.S. soldiers over five years, just for 10 minutes. Bob Green, in his book, uh, uh, I think it's called, um, Once Upon a Town. Bob Green, in his book, Once Upon a Town, writes this. He was interviewing World War II veterans, and he found this common thing. He would ask them about this or that. He would say, tell me about North Platte, Nebraska. And these U.S. soldiers, because almost half of them had been touched by North Platte, would well up in tears. What? What's so moving about North Platte, Nebraska? when I got on the train, there was a buzz. North Platte, Nebraska, you got to get off there. That's the place. They're going to feed you, they're going to love on you. It's just 10 minutes, make sure you hurry. Grab that hug. It's, what was so moving about this? These soldiers would say this. Predominantly, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know if I'd ever come home. I didn't know the people I was on that train with. But for 10 minutes in the middle of the night, somebody was kind. They found a way to help. Why do we remember North Platte, Nebraska? Because somebody was kind. And that echoes into eternity. It was merciful, loving kindness. It didn't matter what color you were, what rank you were. It didn't matter any attribute you could think of. No behavior mattered. There was no condition. Just get off the train. We don't even know you, but we're going to be kind to you, and we're going to love you. Fifty-five thousand people gathered into that town from one time or another, baking all day, gathering gifts, and volunteering in that moment to give. Why did it draw so many people together? I want to show you the scripture in Jeremiah. In chapter 31 and verse 3, the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Now that word loving kindness is hesed. I've drawn you with a merciful loving kindness. Merciful loving kindness is a magnet it draws. See, God was saying, remember when we first met? Do you remember how... You were serving the world. I don't know if anyone remembers those days, the BC days before Christ. Do you remember when you were following the passions and the pleasures and the lusts of this world? Do you remember how I got you is what God's saying? Do you remember how I drew you in? It was my merciful, loving kindness that magnetized your life into my kingdom. Come on, I give the Lord some praise right now. You see, merciful loving-kindness is an attractor. You ever heard of the law of attraction? Attracting the right things into your life, or the right relationships into your life? In 1938, a study was done among 165 Harvard sophomores. And over eight decades, they studied not only them, but also another 465 inner-city residents of Boston. And for eight decades, they studied their lives, checked their health every year, asked them questions about their happiness and fulfillment in life. It's the longest study of human psychology in our history. They asked them when they first started the study, these young Harvard sophomores, what do you think you can expect would make you happy in your life? Predominantly, they all said fame and fortune, money and status. I want people to know my name, and I want to have the resources that I need, and then I'll be happy. But over eight decades, they found there was only one common characteristic among those who experienced a lifetime of fulfillment and happiness. And that one characteristic was meaningful relationships. You see, all of us are gonna go places and do things this week. But it's not about the where or the what. Life is always about the who. We'll never remember the places we went or the things we did as much as we remember the who we went places with and the who we did things with. It's the relationships in our life that matter. My son Logan was playing this video game. It's called Minecraft. Where's the Minecraft people at? Nobody's willing to admit Minecraft, but I know you're out there, you secret <laughs> Minecraft. There you go, huh? I knew it. And I was studying, and I heard this blood-curdling scream from him that sounded like a shark had gotten in the house and was eating him. I came running, and what happened? What happened? He said, well, I, he had died in Minecraft, and and lost all his stuff. And I, I began to ask him about this. He, See in Minecraft, you live in this little world, and you accumulate things, and you mine, and you just kind of live in life, and you build houses and stuff, and you get special armor and special attributes and special diamond stuff, because you're mining, and you get all these things and supplies. And then if you die, well, then you just respawn somewhere. you know, And then you go find where you died, and you can pick up all your stuff again. Well, on this particular day, he had placed everything in his pockets. Everything he owned was on him. And he died in hot lava through some kind of weird glitch. He wasn't even supposed to die. But when you die in hot lava, your stuff falls in the hot lava. And how many know that if you drop your car keys in a pool of molten lava, Let him go, (laughs) because man, they're gone. All his stuff was gone, he screamed, because for three months he'd been accumulating stuff and it was all gone. He went into his bedroom, he's laid on his bed, and I I went in to talk to him and encourage him, and like because the innocents don't quit. I'll never play that game again, he said. And I found myself having a conversation with my 12-year-old, you get back in there, and you play that game, (laughs) because, and I thought this is the weirdest conversation I've ever had. A couple, couple of weeks later, uh, he, he said, Dad, come here, I'm going to show you something. I went in and he said, Dad, so he'd been playing Minecraft again, and he, he said, I have the best brother. This is what he said. I have the best brother in the entire world. I said, how so? I was like, I'm all ears, right? Because when I was 12 and I had a brother, that's probably not what I was saying <laughs> about my brother. I'm all ears as a parent. I'm like, what? What, did he, what happened? He said, Matthew gave me all the stuff I lost, because they share the same world. He gave me from his own things, all the stuff I lost and even more. Completely restored me. You see, an act of kindness draws a relationship together. And sometimes we have a relationship that's estranged or gone the wrong way. Well, pastor, our marriage, we just drifted apart. I'm here to tell you today that the prescription for we drifted apart when you need to magnetize a relationship back together, it's this simple phrase, merciful, loving, kindness. They don't deserve my kindness. That's why it's merciful. It's a merciful, loving kindness. It's not looking for someone to deserve anything. It's loving kindness that comes from the depth of you, the depth of Christ within you. You're just releasing a little bit of God right into the world, and it will attract the right relationships into your life. It will draw them to you. In the book of Ruth, it's a story of a Moabite woman She's a foreigner. Now, Moabite, that's not an Israelite. She did not descend from Jacob. She did not descend from Abraham. But this Moabite woman ran into an Israelite Israelite family that moved into town in Moab. And she married into that Israelite family, and the mom was named Naomi. This is her mother-in-law. Well, over the course of time, her husband died, and Naomi's husband died, and kind of the family dwindled down to two sister-in-laws and a mother-in-law. Well, the mother-in-law, Naomi, was like, well, I'm going to go back home. i got nothing for me here. I'm a widow. I'm going to go back to Israel. And the one sister-in-law said, all right, well, we'll see you, and went back to be with her family. But Ruth, this Moabite woman, she said, you know what? I'm going to go with you, Naomi. She said, no, don't come with me. You don't want to come with me. You stay here with your family. And Ruth said, no, no, no. I'm going to stay with you. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She goes back to Israel. She's a widow. When she walks into town, they don't own a thing, they don't have anything, she has to become a beggar. And as she begged, she would walk through a field when they would harvest, and she could pick up the scraps as a beggar. This was a prescription for poverty in the Old Testament. And so they were allowed to glean whatever fell down on the ground. Well, this landowner, wealthy man, very prominent, who owned the land, said, who is that? And the worker said, well, that's, you know, Ruth, the Moabite woman, she's a foreigner. Those days, you weren't supposed to marry a foreign woman. That was entirely inappropriate. And uh, being from Moab, they were kind of the lower whatever, and she's a beggar, and we don't really associate with these people. But Boaz said, you tell her to always glean in this land, and I want you guys to drop a little extra for her when she's behind you. Make sure she has plenty, and let her drink water from your jars. Well, Ruth gets wind of this and and, and asks Boaz, why are you being so chesed to me? Why why all this kindness to me? And Boaz said this, Ruth chapter 2 and verse 11, I was told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother, your homeland, and came to live with a people you didn't know before. I heard what you did. What did he hear? He heard of her kindness to her mother-in-law. Can, I, can we just be frank for a second? <laughs> if we talk about the elephant in the room, people don't like their mother-in-laws. I don't know why. But it's been that way since history, all of time, I think. But people just chew, well, I'm not gonna lie, I don't get along with my mother-in-law. I don't. When she was kind to her mother-in-law, this was startling. Like what? She did this for her mother-in-law? Who is this? You see, her chesed for her mother-in-law began to draw in new relationships and restoration into her life. I heard about what you did. Your kindness is being broadcast. People are talking about what you did. It's, it's crazy. Boaz thought, well, that's the kind of person I want to be around. Because we've all had friends who talked bad about us when we weren't around, stabbed us in the back, weren't there for us. What we want is that friend that we know will be with us through thick and And the tough times, right? When I was great and when I was at my lowest point, that friend was with me no matter what. And he heard about a woman that was with her mother-in-law through thick and thin, through no matter what. And he thought, that's a great person. Now, Boaz would marry her. That's an amazing feat, All the women of that town looking at single Boaz, thinking, man, I'd like to hook up with Boaz. That's the guy. Maybe they'd fix themselves up and dress and flirt and go to all the right parties with Boaz, thinking they were going to win him, thinking they had what it took. Imagine their surprise when a Moabite woman, a foreigner who's a widow, already been married once, and a beggar moves in, swoops in on Boaz and wins the prize. Can somebody say amen? She wasn't using natural things to draw in Boaz. She was using supernatural things to draw in Boaz. And you don't know how kindness to someone over here may impact a relationship over here. It may draw some supernatural favor. Somebody might open a door of opportunity over here that seems unrelated to what you did. But because you showed chesed in a moment and in a scenario and it was merciful and maybe other people wouldn't have done it. Maybe they were talking evil about you, but you returned good and kindness back. Just like the Bible says, people will hear about that kind of person and that favor of God gets all up on you. And people say, I want to be friends with somebody like that. It's like a magnet. The Hebrew word for draws is mashach. I know it's like a Hebrew school today. Don't get mad at me. And the Meshach means to draw, but it means to seize and drag. You can seize and drag that right relationship right into your world, just through a supernatural act of kindness. I love that it was right in our own home. You know, it's so important to be kind to people we don't know. But also, I find that sometimes we're kind to the people we don't really know, but we get unkind in our house in our sanctuary, the place where it's supposed to be restful for everybody that came home to get recharged. It's so easy to get critical in that place and to be unkind in the house. And I I like how Ruth shows us a picture. Be kind in your family. To your in laws. Show Hasset. I know the rest of the world doesn't like their in laws, but we're followers of Christ. We got in the Jesus line. And on the inside of us is Jesus, and He wants to be kind to everybody, even to your in laws, even to that estranged sister, even to that uncle that don't like you. He wants to be kind right in your own home. Right? you ever do that? You're in a fight, like you're just yelling in the house. I know nobody yells in their houses, but I've heard of stories. I I watch This Is Us, that show, and I see how the world does. And then you're yelling, like, you know, you want me to control my emotions? You know what? You fix your, you stop being late. You stop this, you stop that. And the phone rings. And you're like, and I'll I'll tell you another thing. Hello? (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm great. I'm great. Why? Why? What's up? Yeah, no, things are good. And and so I'm I'm saying that that maybe we can work on that too, (laughs) bringing that loving kindness into our home. Because if you want to draw those relationships together, if you want to drag that teenager back into a relationship with you, if you want God to drag them supernaturally back into that close relationship with you so they're not always slamming the door and walking the wrong way and going the wrong way. You're like, how do I heal this relationship? You heal it through God's prescribed merciful, loving kindness. Come on and give the Lord some praise. Ruth, you know, why does Ruth have her own book in the Bible? She's got a book named Ruth. Was Ruth this great prophet who stood on the mountain and talked to God with fire and brimstone and brought down the commands of the Lord? Was Ruth calling fire down from heaven or shutting the mouths of lions? Did Ruth lead an Israelite battle into a great victory? Was Ruth some born into the right household? Was she somehow a king or a a queen in royalty? What did Ruth do? What did she do to get a book of the Bible named after her? Did she raise the dead? Did she walk on water? Did she extend a hand and part a sea? What did Ruth do to get a book of the Bible, to get full restoration? In fact, can I just tell you a secret about Ruth? She married Boaz. They had a kid. They had another kid. If you go follow the kids to Obed, to Jesse, you get in their lineage King David. King David's looking back at his great-grandmother saying that was Ruth. She was a Moabite woman. She was a foreigner, not even born into the land of Israel. And God gave her a book of the Bible and created through her lineage all the way. If you follow her life and lineage and seed all the way to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I'm not kidding. What did she do to project that kind of favor into her future? She was kind to her mother-in-law. That's it. Some of y'all need to figure out how to get kind to your in-laws. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Nearly 22 years ago, Mother Teresa died at the age of 87. And we look at her image, and still to this day, you could just glance at that, and everybody in this room knows that's Mother Teresa. We know why we know her. We don't know her because she was a famous singer, because she was an amazing actress, because she had her own reality show and we followed her around, or because she was involved in a scandal, or a a great leader and politician. We don't know Mother Teresa because she was a famous actress on the big screen, or a model. We don't know Mother Teresa, right? We think about the things that make people successful, their talents and their gifts, and, oh, I wish I looked like that, and I wish I could dance like that, and I wish I could sing like that, and I wish I could do those things. We don't know her from her amazing multi-million dollar corporation. Those things are great and they're wonderful. There's nothing wrong with them. But it's just not why we know her. We know Mother Teresa for one simple thing. She's 36 years old. She's on a train from Calcutta to the Himalayan mountains. And she heard the voice of Jesus say to her, Go back to Calcutta and you help those children, the helpless, and the poor. Dedicate your life to it. We know Mother Teresa because of a simple thing called Hesed. She showed kindness. The reason we know her is because kindness is a supernatural expression of God into your world. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus became flesh, that he became likened unto the form of a man. Therefore, we have a high priest who is both merciful and faithful. Now, the word mercy there used, I had lunch with Rabbi Jack Zimmerman this last week. And I said to Rabbi Jack, as I walked up, he was sitting down already, and I said, Rabbi Jack, he speaks fluent Hebrew, he's an amazing rabbi, Uh, he believes in Jesus, got a great church. He said, I I said, Rabbi Jack, he goes, hey, Pastor Jason, I go, Chesed. And he goes, sit down. (laughs) He said, you'll never believe it, I taught on Chesed this last Sunday. I said, I knew it. Tell me. So he began to show me that in the New Testament, the Greek equivalent for chesed was this, Jesus was a merciful, loving kindness, that he's, he's in us. When he, when he said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, he was saying chesed. He is saying, oh, the happiness of those who are merciful of merciful, loving kindness, for they will be shown merciful, loving kindness, telling me how it injects it into your future. And Jesus had this in him, and he's in us. So when I express his kindness, I'm releasing what he wants to do into my world. I'm letting him express himself through my hands and through my feet. It's such a simple thing, Pastor Todd, on kindness. Is it? Or is it a picture of releasing the eternal power of God into your world? I submit to you this, that when we show Hesed in the lives of the people around us, get ready to see it come right back into your life. 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll go here and kind of wrap things up. David is king now, and he's, he's already brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He's already taken the promised land, taken Jerusalem back, and he's standing in his palace, and he and he says this to the people around him. Is there yet anyone left in the house of David that I'm, and I'm sorry, in the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That I might show him chesed. Merciful, loving kindness for the sake of Jonathan. Now, if you don't know the story of Jonathan, Jonathan was the rightful heir to be king under his father, King Saul. But he gave David his robe and his sword and kind of abdicated his throne to David, saying, God chose you. And right when he was helping David escape death from his father Saul, he said to David, Don't forget me. Be kind to my family when the Lord has delivered all of your enemies into your hand. This is David now. He says, Can I find somebody at the house of Saul? Somebody. For the sake of Jonathan that I might show kindness to. Well, they said there's this guy. Mephibosheth is his name. He's the son of Jonathan. He lives as, a, as an exile out, outside of the promised land, probably hiding because, you know, the new king would wipe out the old king's household to make sure there's no future rebellions. That was normal. So David said, go get him. David's not normal. David's merciful, loving, and kind. And for the sake of Jonathan's kindness, he brings Mephibosheth in. He says, he says this, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. Let's go to the next one. For you, will, I will surely show you chesed, kindness, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I'm giving you the inheritance you thought you lost, your grandfather's lands. All of it's going back to you, and you're going to eat in the palace with me. I'm restoring everything to you. Why? For the sake of your father, Jonathan. It has nothing to do with what you did, my Mephibosheth. But see, when Jonathan was kind, he projected favor into his seed, into his legacy. And from that favor, Mephibosheth got the, the spoils. I sometimes walk through my life and I wonder when these good things happen to me and my family. I sometimes think to myself, I wonder if this, this thing that's happening to me right now is the result of the kindness of my mom and dad. They have lived a life of hesed just being kind to people. I talked to a lady just the other day, last Saturday night. And she said, I want to give you a testimony. She gave me a testimony about how God had canceled some debt in her life. It was amazing. But then she said this. My 94-year-old World War II veteran father was dying. And I called the church to see if you could send me a pastor to pray before he dies. Me and the whole family were there. And she said, we were all so stunned. We were stunned into silence when we saw your mom and dad walk in. Dr. Tom and marine they're busy, they're traveling. How could they possibly have the time to come and visit my father as he's about to die? He, my dad came in, you know how he is, he's smiling with his gray hair, he's so tall, he's got the big old plant, and it's this huge thing, and he sets it down. Hey, how's everybody doing? My mom gets on the floor, starts playing with all the kids and the great-grandkids and stuff as they're down there. Let's join hands and pray over this mighty World War II vet, which, by the way, this man remembered Platt, Nebraska. And they all joined hands and prayed. And that man died later that night. He was 94 years old, lived a great life. He was ready to go. The family was ready to say goodbye. I think about the kindnesses like that. Kindnesses that we can show. That's really my challenge to all of us today. To bind kindness. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 3. To bind chesed and faithfulness around your neck. I know it's on the inside of you. But I'm saying take that jewel out of the inside and bind it to the outside of your neck. I like how David said, can we find someone in the house of Saul that I can be kind to? I think that this challenge begins with asking ourselves the question as we walk through life. Find me someone that I can help today. Find me something that I can do. I maybe don't have a manufacturing plant to build naval ships and bombs to help in this war, but I do I can bake some cookies and I could give some cookies out to some soldiers when they get off the train. What can I do to be kind to somebody that doesn't deserve it, was evil to me? What can I do to reach out to somebody I don't even know? To be kind to a waitress that's having a down day. To be kind to a homeless person that's on the corner. You might say, well, they don't deserve it. They need to work. Be kind to them anyways, because merciful, loving kindness looks for no qualifier. And when you let that out, you're inviting the power of the living God right into your world to begin to draw the right people into your life. Suddenly doors are opening up for you. Suddenly favor you never earned is realized in your life. Suddenly somebody showed you chesed when you needed it most. It's because you showed it. You showed mercy, you got mercy. You showed kindness, you got kindness. You showed God to somebody, and you got God in your world. Can I get an amen in this house? Praise God. That's my challenge to you today. Maybe for the next 20 days. We can all really make it a point to create a habit in our lives to be kind to the people in our world and the people we don't even know. Well thanks for watching. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you've been away from the Lord for a little while and you know that it's time to get your heart back with the Lord, I just want to pray with you. If you'll repeat after me, Dear Father God, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God who died for my sins and rose from the dead. Be my Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you said that prayer, your eternity is secure. Your Father God is your Father, you're a child of the King, and you are settled in the kingdom of God. Make sure you find a good local church and get planted deep. You need to get around the right kind of people in your life. Amen. And then every day you can watch the Wake Up Daily Bible Study we have, number one, Uh, Daily Bible Study on YouTube. Go to YouTube, type in Daily Bible Study. We come up, we have a scripture for the day, we pray over your day, and we kinda take the message from today, and we just have fun with it, and we go a little bit farther with it. Yeah, you're gonna enjoy that. This is called The Happy and Married Book. You know, too many people are just surviving their marriages. They're just getting by, they're wondering, can I make it another week? And I see a lot of material out there about how to get through. You know, marriage is work, people say. Marriage doesn't have to be like that. God designed marriage to be a great pleasure, to bring happiness into your life, fulfillment and strength. book You can get this on Amazon. I encourage you, if you're married or if you're thinking of getting married, you should pick this up and find out how to have a happy and marriage life. Don't forget to partner with us. If God puts it on your heart, allow us to take this word all over the world. And we need partners just like you who want to make a difference in this world. This message of life and hope needs to hit all the corners of the earth and so we encourage you to go to wakeuptv.tv and to partner with us all right god bless you thanks for watching we'll see you next time